We wanted to bring that back after 10 years. We did that and maybe it was our first relationship series. And um, you know, there's, there's just a, a moment there where it's kind of all captured when, when the lyric goes, they didn't count on the tears. You know, here are these, these two people and they're trying to figure out life and they're trying to live life and, and they're sort of kind of doing the best they can, but they're just not getting it. And, and we resonate with that because we see that all around us. And sometimes we feel that too. We're, we're, just, we're just not getting it. And uh, in family life, we sometimes get what we, what we need and what we hope for, and, and sometimes, sometimes we don't. So let me teach you today. Let me teach you about families. Families are, are, are interesting organizations, and, and there's always a lot of tension, and there's always things that are going wrong, and, and, uh, and we picked this, this clip from a recent movie, Parental Guidance, to just kind of focus on like how things sometimes are just coming unglued. Let's show this. You can go. Would someone please explain what happened to Carl? We were playing keep the cat. It started to rain. So we all came indoors and I was helping Harper get dressed for her party. A party? And You're throwing a party. No, Dad, I'm going to a party. For a boy who likes her. A boy? What boy? Tonight, the night before your audition? Are, are you kidding? I told her she could go. It's ridiculous. It is out of the question. Maybe it's ridiculous for me to spend all my time practicing the violin, never doing anything else, and auditioning for school tomorrow where I'm never going to do anything else the whole rest of my life. Huh? Well, she's using her words. Harper. Harper, I cannot allow you to take a talent, a, a gift, to which you have dedicated so much time and effort and throw it away on a whim. I hate you and I wish anyone else was my mother. Maybe not those words. Thanks, Mom and Dad. I couldn't have gotten through the week without you. I say we head for the airport right now. Don't even take our clothes. We just skedaddle. I followed you for 35 years, Artie. Wherever you needed to be, that's where I was. No complaints. Well, some. But this week, this week was supposed to be about us and our grandchildren, not you. Not you. There are a lot of family myths there that are, that are being played out. And you got the intergenerational tension that's going on. You got all these expectations and, and nobody is really hearing each other. Let's start in a good place this morning. Let's start in Ephesians chapter four. Let me tell you about the Bible, what we don't sometimes think about when we think about the Bible. The Bible has two great investments, let's call them, that it's trying to accomplish. It's, it's trying to uh, invest you with the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. 
It's trying to, to get you to, to understand that. It's trying to show you the story of God over thousands of years as God has, has revealed himself to us, which culminated in Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The Bible is trying to, to say, look at this. I love you so much that I sent my son into the world to teach you, to give his life for you, to rise again, to prove to you that there is life after death. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. The Bible's trying to teach that over and over and over again. The Bible is also trying to teach you how to live your life. Uh, you know, we think about the New Testament and it almost takes on this, uh, this aura of wonder and glory, the New Testament, the story of Jesus. And we think about Paul's letters. But did you ever think about how much information there is in Paul's letters that's just trying to straighten things out? I often tell people that when they're struggling with something, I say, well, look at the New Testament. Paul's always going, stop doing that. Don't do that. Why did you do that? You need to do this. And he's talking about family life, and he's talking about relational life, and he's talking to, to people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ because we give our lives to him, and then we are still figuring out how to live for him. He is with us in that. But there's a great responsibility that we must take to figure it out. Or we just end up like Brenda and Eddie, just didn't count on the tears. Ephesians chapter four. Let's, let's hear these words of Paul. We're gonna read it in the message this morning just because it kind of flows into our lives a little smoother. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. On the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. It's all very relational stuff, isn't it? And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no need going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd, They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. Don't just be following everybody else when they're just going off doing their crazy stuff. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go into sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ my assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the, the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. 
It's rotten through and through. In other words, it doesn't work. Get rid of it. That's your responsibility that he's talking about. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. But you have to let him do that. You have to let him do that. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies. No more pretense. In other words, no more faking it. No more just going around and around the same old myths and the stuff that that doesn't work. Tell your neighbor the truth. In other words, live in the truth where you are. Bring faith and life together. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Why does Paul say that? Go ahead and be angry. Because we get angry, and anger is an emotion that God gave us, and it tells us there's something going wrong, or it tells us there's something we need to pay attention to, or it tells us there's something we need to fix, or there's something we need to do. It has some really good results, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you, use, did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. If each word's going to be a gift, then you have to be careful what you say. You have to think about it and, and go over it again and again, not just, not just say things or blurt things out. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. God is at work inside of you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Take that seriously and then do the things that are right to do. Make the right choices. Think the right thoughts. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Does that sound relational to you? Sounds very relational to me. Does that sound like things we need to do in families and in communities. Sounds a lot like that to me. Does that sound like the opposite of August Osage County? Yes, it sounds like the opposite of August Osage County. I never was, was more tense watching a dinner scene in my life. If I was at that table, I, I would have been afraid to say, please pass the mashed potatoes. I, would, I wouldn't have said anything. In the Philip's New Testament, 
which is another uh, translation you know, that came out of the 1960s. Uh, he put it this way. Let there be no more foul language, but good words instead. Words suitable for the occasion, which God can use to help other people. Never hurt the Holy Spirit. He is, remember, the personal pledge of your eventual full redemption. Let there be no more resentment, no more anger or temper, no more violent self-assertiveness, no more slander, and no more malicious remarks. Be kind to each other. Be understanding. Be as ready to forgive others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You may have been born into dysfunction, but you don't have to stay there. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. But let me tell you why we don't choose to change. Change forces us to think a different way. And once you have a pattern established in a way of thinking, it's just so easy to go down that pathway. That, that changing the way you thinking you think is really hard. Change takes us out of our comfort zone, even if our comfort zone is wrong, even if, if it was constructed for the wrong reasons. It's, it's comforting. That's why so many people don't want to change because it forces you to get out and maybe build something that's new. And then finally, change leads towards humility. Change makes us vulnerable. There are three symptoms of family dysfunction. These are almost universal in dysfunctional families. The first one is don't talk. Don't talk. Don't talk to anyone outside of our family about anything inside of our family. I can remember those words. I can remember those words. The rule, the rule coming out of that is nobody understands but us, so pretend everything is always okay. It's always okay. The life theme that comes out of that is it's all about putting on a facade. If you can have a, a facade to the outside world that everything's okay, then, then maybe everybody will think it's okay when it's not. And one of the great things that Jesus railed against was the facade of religion during the time he was with us. People were acting like everything was okay, but it wasn't on the inside. It was dark and manipulative and coercive, and people really weren't loving and caring about each other in the ways that they should have been, and he called them on it. It's all about putting on a facade when you can't talk about what's really going on. Don't trust. Don't trust anyone outside of the family. The rule there is nobody will take care of you but us. We're the ones that will really take care of you. You can't trust anybody else to take care of you. In Proverbs it says, however, there is one who sticks closer than a brother. The life theme here is it's all about control. When you don't trust anybody outside the family, it's all about control. That's, that's the myth. You know, it's all about control. We're going to control you. Don't trust. That's the myth, but it's all about control. If I can control everything, then I've got everything the way I want it to be. 
Don't feel is the third symptom. If you don't quit crying, I'll give you something to cry about. The rule. You heard that too? The rule. You shouldn't feel anything that hurts and don't get too happy either. You shouldn't feel anything that hurts and don't get too happy either. And so you start to shut down. The life theme is shutting down your emotions. And then what happens to a lot of us who are Christians and and want to know God in a deeper way through Jesus Christ is we just get stuck in this cycle of repeating the family drama and and it just it it has a hold of us and we we go to church and we do stuff with other people we have fellowship we go to bible studies but it never becomes real never becomes what it could be because we're living these these lives of fear and self-protection and and we shut down and we never really say how we how we really feel what do you do then what do you do if you learn don't talk don't trust, don't feel. You have to break your family myth, and that means the fairy tale has to end. It's got to end at some point. It will end when things are too painful for you to bear anymore, and you can't carry the facade anymore, and there'll finally be a crack, and, and then maybe you'll change. Here's a guy who's got a and the fairy tale in his life. He's lived a, a beautiful life, a, a wonderful life for many, many years, started out as a, as a young man. And look at him now. He's, he's, a, he's a wreck. He's an emotional wreck. And I don't think he did it just for the publicity, although I'm prob- there's probably an argument out there that says, you know, you get your picture in the front page of the paper and you sell more music and, and whatever. But this is, a, this is a kid who's got to break a fairy tale. You know, and the fairy tale is, you know, he is the biggest thing in the world. And the fairy tale is his, his parents, you know, are stoking that. And the fairy tale is he can do anything. He's invulnerable. And, you know, and, and, and his emotions are shut down. Doesn't really know how to feel anymore. Doesn't even, he, Bieber doesn't know who Bieber is. Bieber confusion. Bieber bamboozled, Bieber something. It's just, it's sad when we see it. We see it so often because it's all about dysfunctionality and it's all about these, these myths. And if you live those myths, you just kind of, you just kind of go crazy. Here's when the clue phone is ringing and it's for you. These are statements that are hints about your, about your myth, maybe the myth that you've lived for a long time. Dad's always right no matter what you think. Mom will get upset. It'll be ugly if you don't come for Christmas. Well, maybe mom's got to learn that getting ugly isn't what Christmas is all about. You're just always selfish and want your way. Why didn't you come to the beach house reunion? Don't you care about your family? Well, there was a deadline at work and I have a job and you know that provides my support for my family and I just couldn't make it this year. Don't you care about your family? You're gonna marry somebody who fits into this family or don't expect I'll be at the wedding. 
I'll cut you out of my will so fast your little head will be spinning. You think this is bad? Well, better run for cover because I'm just getting started. You better think twice before you say what I know you're going to say next. You always were the one I couldn't depend on for nothing. Can't you do anything right? You are not welcome in this house anymore. You are not welcome in this house. You still dating that loser? Now, if you are dating a loser, that's a true statement. <laughs> but if you're, if you're not, then uh, it's part of the myth. Mark Seichel put it this way. The family myth comprises various well-rehearsed notions, wholly false, about the nature of the family unit. The family myth dictates that surface appearance is more important than individual happiness, that what ought to be true must squelch what is true. The family myth involves the presumption that every family member is compatible, possesses the same goals, and loves all the others without question. The family myth is a fantasy. The family myth is both a distortion of history as well as a misperception of the unspoken rules for maintaining peace within the family and what it takes to make other family members happy. The family myth does not readily tolerate individual choice, different points of view, or difference of opinion. Whenever you have to walk on eggshells, you're walking on the family myth. If you don't stick with the family myth, You'll be excommunicated in some way from the family. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel. Protect the family myth at all costs, or you'll get kicked out of the family. I am very thankful for my mother and father who gave me many, many good things. But I look back over the years, my mom was happiest when she was with her high school friends because that's kind of where she felt her life had the most meaning. My dad was happy when he was buying a new car because that meant that he had achieved something by working so hard. And, and I look back and I go, knowing what I know now, why? Why did, you, why did you let that happen? Why did you let the family myth be, everything's okay as long as you stay in the family. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. You see, it's all too prevalent in all kinds of families, all kinds of socioeconomic strata. It has, it has, there's no ethnicity for this. There's no political persuasion for this. It's just about being fake and thinking that you're getting by. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't live that way. Don't grieve God that way. You were created for so much more, so much more. 
Let me tell you what it takes to, to break the fairy tale. Um, the opposite of everything I say is living the myth. This is breaking the fairy tale. And you can take this. You can go to the notes this week. You can take this. You can look at it. You can sit down at home. You can talk about it. You can get the, the, the kids around the table and talk about it and say, are we like this? Do we want to be like this? Communication and discussion are valued. Family members proactively seek honoring conversations. Disagreement has a place in the family mix as long as no one is being hurt or abused in the disagreement. Long-term benefits outweigh short-term gains as points of view are shared and evaluated. Individuals' feelings are given a place of importance. Empathy is an essential part of family relationships. Asking for help is considered normal. Receiving help outside of the family is considered normal. Personal freedom finds its place in the context of family life. Family members encourage each other to make right choices without pushing personal agendas or using the fear of losing love as a pressure tactic. Family members celebrate each other's milestones and achievements with generous expressions of gratitude for each person and for the sincere effort expended to reach a goal. Family members offer emotional support during times of stress and struggle. Finding ways to help without enabling is a priority. Conflict is accepted within this reality. Healthy emotional boundaries are understood and respected. Power is utilized as a tool for doing good, not as a noisy jackhammer to break a heart. A family system fueled by love and affection is the normal expectation for relationships. Family unity is prioritized in an effort to create win-win situations. Criticism is constructive and not passive-aggressive or manipulative. Boundaries of time and space are honored. Members grow spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually, cultivating a legacy of grace, generosity, and blessing. Forgiveness is woven into the tapestry of life's challenges. Failure is evaluated. Lessons are learned and articulated for present and future generations. The family story is cherished. That's the way God wants us to live. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, look, nobody's going to get this unless you love one another like I love you. And then everybody's going to go, why are they like that? That is so amazing. They're going to know that you're following me when you love each other like that. Change forces us to think a different way. Change takes us out of our comfort zone. Change leads towards humility. You know, when I, I was going through this week, I, I kind of wondered, you know, what kind of letter is going to come from God about this? And when it came right down to it, there was a letter, but it was never what I expected. It was a letter that I had to write to myself. 
Dear me, you grew up in a family myth, and then you ran away. But you never really ran away because it was always inside of you. When you became a dedicated follower of Christ, you found hope. Hope feels good, but even hope needs help. Hope needs vision and discipline and a forgiving heart. A forgiving heart is where the fairy tale begins to end. Some days you refused to have a forgiving heart. Some days you didn't even feel like you had a heart. It's humbling to realize that God walked with you while you struggled to find your heart again. He let you struggle. He knew you would learn through the struggle. He was right. It feels good to be living beyond the myth that was just an opaque box we could barely see, see out of. But I know that to be thankful for the box and the many good things that were inside is important too. Small town America was inside. Reading books was inside. The 1969 World Series was inside. An entire cast of amazing characters was inside. Perilous questions were inside too. Those questions somehow cut me loose from the myth. Untethered, I tumbled. And when I left the box behind, I found me where God found me. It's hard to describe, but we were there so we know. I just know that for too long, living the myth was like dragging around a hundred pound weight all the time. And that life works better when you venture beyond the fairy tale. So here's my advice to me. Don't ever get complacent. You're not there yet. Listen more. Ask better questions. Always be thankful in the way Paul was thankful for getting knocked off his horse. And keep learning about how love always wins. Even when you don't understand what that means or when you fail to love or when you have one of those mysterious, it all came together and all I did was watch days. Keep learning. Learn from the one who gave his life for you so you could live in the story of his grace. Remember, as God in Christ forgave you, remember, as God in Christ forgave you, that'll keep you going. I guess that's all I have to say to me right now. See you soon. Me. Dear Heavenly Father, we sometimes get bound up and tied down and, and things that aren't really true. We somehow get all unraveled and, and we're confused because we've been living out myths for so long. We just don't know how to break out of that cycle, how to get beyond the facade. So Father, send people into our lives who challenge us, who challenge us to really live our real lives, to really live with faith and life dynamically always coming together. Challenge us to live bearing good fruit, doing good things that bring light, that bring honor and glory to you. Father, help us to struggle where we need to struggle. Father, never give up on us. Father, we love you and we want to be everything with you and for you. So in this moment, Father, I pray that you'll speak to someone's heart who needs to change. And I pray that you will give them the courage to change and to keep changing. Father, help me to change and to keep changing all the days of my life. I give my life to you now. We give our lives to you now. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.